and welcome to the latest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway, and with me, as always, is Matt Sells on Twitter, at The Sellsman. So, I guess at this point, Matt, first off, how are you doing? And I feel free to comment, if you'd like, on the fact that the Pirates have a better record than the Nationals. You don't have to if you don't want to, but I just want to throw it out there for you. I mean, it's not that surprising. This Nationals team was built with a bunch of dudes that are going to be plugging holes until the prospects come up. Um, so I knew this year was going to be a lost season. I don't have a problem with that. Hoping for a top five pick and what's shaping up to be potentially a very deep draft class next year. Um, you know, it, it'll be all right. And also, you can't you can't screw up that many defensive plays late in games and still win. Like. That that can't happen. Their eighth inning against the Pirates the other night was just atrocious. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, it's not shocking. I will say Patrick Corbin apparently likes pitching against the Pirates because that's the only time he's ever good anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I figured that if they snuck into a fourth place finish in the NL East, I'd be happy with that this year. We'll see if it happens. Yeah, it was interesting with Corbin was someone that I kind of was interested in this past weekend. And then when Pittsburgh decided to sit arguably two of their best hitters against left-handed pitching in Cabrian Hayes and Brian Reynolds, I was like, yep, fire Corbin up. And then unfortunately the rest of the game happened. But Pittsburgh still won. And just, just as we expected, you know, coming into the year, everybody was all in on, you know, some of these teams being, you know, quite good like we all expected Oakland to be five and five we expected Pittsburgh to be over 500 we expected the Rockies to only be a game back from the Dodgers and Giants just what we all expected just like we predicted it's you know I guess baseball is one of those games where it's the better team always wins all 162 times of the year it's just kind of what happens but there is going to be some massive fluidity here in these standings and things are going to happen things are going to go crazy but as a Pirates fan, I don't know, again, when they'll be above 500. The next time they drop below might be the last time that they're above 500 as right now at 5-5. Five and five. So we'll see what happens. But for this edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast, going to hit on some news and notes from around the league, a couple things to watch. Of course, we'll do level of concern, and then we will, just like last week, give our prediction for the week that lies ahead. So first and foremost, I don't know if there's – arguably a bigger name in baseball than Mike Trout took a pitch off of the hand he's considered day to day so at least with x-rays being negative it doesn't sound like anything is broken uh the team has likely said he's already going to be out for Monday's game we're recording this Monday afternoon before first pitch of that game so expecting him to be out Monday he's day to day what are you thinking here with Mike Trout? Do you think we see him maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, or do you think they hold him out and really save him for a big series against Baltimore a couple of days later? Yeah, because the Orioles are a dynamite team that uh, take the best players to to beat. Uh, although, uh, you know, I can't talk crap against the Orioles because they beat the bejesus out of the Yankees pretty well over the weekend. Um, I, you know, I think it's probably like we'll see him – Tuesday or Wednesday type thing. Um, but can we talk for a second about how terribly Mike Trout got out of the way of that pitch? Like, I've never seen somebody try to avoid an inside pitch by turning further inside. Like, I don't I don't really understand what he was doing there. It looked like it was right out of the uh, bunt, bunting school of Trey Turner. Like, 
you've been in the game long enough, you should know how to avoid a pitch as, a t- as opposed to, like, turning your whole... Uh, like, if you watch the replays, the pitch is coming inside, and if he just stands there, it's going to hit his leg. Okay? Sure. It'll sting. It'll hurt. you get a nice bruise on the inside of your thigh. Um, the outside of your thigh, rather. But, like, you could also just try to move your leg out of the way. Instead, he turns to, like, body up the pitch. Like, offer the whole front of his body to get hit by the pitch, including his hands. So, I don't really understand what he did there. Um, luckily, nothing's broken, because the last thing we want to see is Mike Trout missing time. But I think it's just a one- or two-day thing, to be honest. I, I think you're right, too. And maybe perhaps it's due to, like, the the shadows. Uh, maybe you just didn't have great visibility into it. You're right. It did look very weird. I remember watching it the first time. And it was almost like, I, first off, I hope he wasn't trying to swing at the pitch because like, his hands are starting to move like he was almost going to swing at it. So that was my first thought. But it looked very weird. But like you said, hopefully it doesn't seem like anything's broken. Sounds like day-to-day. And, I mean, quickly, when Trout's out of the lineup, we're probably looking at a pretty set outfield of Marsh. Ward and Adele, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yep. I don't suppose it'd be any different. Yep, that figure should be there. And actually, you could argue, you know, you see Joe Adele, he's pretty routinely hitting that six or seven spot, but Brandon Marsh has moved up as high as five, so Trout's going to miss a couple games. Trout could be just outside of the meat, I'm sorry, Marsh could be just outside of the meat of that order, and if you've listened to any episodes of this, you would know that that will behoove my fantasy teams quite well. So yes. I like that for Brandon Marsh. Another yeah, out. yeah. Go ahead. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't see why they wouldn't just keep bumping, you know, rotating people up. Um, perhaps they take like Taylor Ward and put him in the two hole, maybe because of his speed. I don't know. I mean, it'd be a pretty big jump for him. You could put Adele in the two hole too and keep Marsh where he is. But I would suspect they would just bump everybody up one spot. Yep. And then another star outfielder that got injured. Actually, really another AL MVP candidate. Um, Byron Buxton. Unfortunately, he got injured, looked ugly, but recent MRI said there's no structural damage to his knee. Um, my guess here, we haven't heard anything yet. I'm assuming they're just going to put him on the IL because he's probably going to need 10 days anyway for the knee and everything like that. So do you agree with me on that? And then here's my next point. Would the Twins consider DHing Buxton at all? to try to keep him healthy. I understand he's one of the best defensive outfielders in general in the game, but at some point, keeping him in the lineup has got to be a better net positive than putting him in the outfield to keep his bat in the lineup. That's what I would think. So I would I would think maybe when he first returns, like we're going to see it with Acuna. When Acuna comes back, he's not going to play outfield every single day. I understand the torn ACL is different than this non-structural knee injury, but they're going to ease him back into action. Could you see Minnesota doing that with Buxton? I could. It would mean that they wouldn't be able to hit Gary Sanchez at DH. But like, oh, that's fine. That's fine. Um, but I mean, you know, seeing who I mean, you got Nick Gordon, who can play a pretty good defensive center field. I mean, he's got the speed to do it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's 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 plausible. Um, you've got Kyle Garlick as a backup outfielder, too. Not that he would be a starting one. I mean, I would start Nick Gordon over Kyle Garlick. Um, so it's plausible. I can't imagine that Gary Sanchez's bat should 
outweigh Byron Buxton's bat if they do make that decision. Um, so we'll have to see what they do. I don't know that they're going to feel comfortable taking gold glove caliber defense off the field, but sometimes, um, you know, MVP caliber um, bat is more important than gold glove caliber defense. I mean, the Phillies are certainly trying trying that format for their entire lineup. So it, it's a possibility. Um, you know, that being said, he does continue to find weird ways to get injured. So I'm not even sure that that would necessarily help him avoid the injury bug. For sure. And I think it's one of those things where I think it would be wise of Minnesota to do so. Now, here, here, here's the interesting thing about it. Out of curiosity, quick guess, do you know how many of Bats Buxton has had as a DH in his entire career? Um, one? Close. Three. He's had one start as a DH. He had three at-bats in his career as a designated hitter. So track record says Minnesota won't do it, even if it's an attempt to keep him healthy. So we'll see what happens there. I, again, I think it would be wise of them to do well, so, but I'm not. Okay, but the last few years, they wouldn't have DH'd him because Nelson Cruz was there. And you're not going to take Boomstick out of the uh, out of the lineup because you're not putting Nelson Cruz anywhere near the field, and except it's you know the batter's box. So there is that. Um, and then before that, I guess you had what Sano DHing, mm-hmm. um, because you had you know Maurer was occasionally playing first base there, I guess. Um, so not necessarily the opportunities to put Bucks in there, but now I would say you could take out Gary Sanchez. <laughs> you can 100% take out Gary Sanchez. And I, I feel like we're on an outfielder kick here, but in Toronto, Teoscar Hernandez, the dreaded oblique, he is heading to the IL. So now it opens the door for maybe like a Rymel Tapia, whose speed could become quite interesting for fantasy managers there in that lineup. But this is a big blow with, Teoscar going out, he's just a powerful bat that almost seems like he's close to undervalued each year because all he does is hit. And now he's got the dreaded oblique injury, and we know that those can linger um, just given the nature of the muscles required to swing a baseball bat. So Teoscar Hernandez to the IL with the oblique. Are you interested in any of his backups, or are you just praying that the oblique heals up sooner rather than later? Uh, as a guy who traded Dylan Cease to get Jaron Duran and Teoscar Hernandez this year, I'm desperately hoping that oblique heals up and it's not a problem because you can make the argument that Teoscar Hernandez was a top 10 outfielder coming into the season, and I'm not really sure that that's a stretch. So, yeah, my uh, my team desperately needs that bat um, and some speed back in the lineup. Yep, and then with Baltimore, John Means is heading to the IL. They said it was a sprained elbow, but it sounds like they're going to be getting more opinions and look further into the elbow. And, I mean, they even came out and said he's going to be out a while. So, to me, everyone uses a while a bit differently. So, let me let me, let me me pose you two questions here. Do you think we see Means before the All-Star break? That's question one. Question two, do you think we see Means at all again in 2022? <sighs> Well, so it's a tricky thing, right, because with with the Orioles, they're not going to be in contention. So it Mm -hmm. feels like why would they bring him back after the All-Star break if they're not going to be in contention, I guess, just to get some innings and not be starting from complete scratch next year. But 
it certainly sounds like there's a decent amount going on in that elbow, and it's not just sprained. And by the way, when they say sprained, it means there could be something torn. Because, like, normally a sprain or a strain involves some sort of damage to, you know, a ligament or um, muscle. So, it's looking not great for John Means right now. Yep, I think. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be an interesting thing what these multiple opinions come out and say about his elbows, what else they find lingering in there. Uh, I'm very pessimistic about Means' outlook the rest of the year. And even if he does come back, you know, wins aren't going to be a plenty in Baltimore. And even though he's a solid pitcher, just a lot of time missed. And there's probably not a lot, not a lot of juice left there for Means in the 2022 season. Houston had to put Ryan Presley on the IL with some knee inflammation. And it seems like as long as he's out, Hector Neris is going to be the unquestioned guy. And we saw in Philly, Neris can, and I'm, itali- I'm vocally italicizing can, because he can get the job done. He is also prone to some <laughs> rather drastic blowups there. So if Neris is still available in your league, I think you have to pick him up because he's a closer who has a chance at saves. And that's valuable in its own right. But I'm not exactly saying here that, hey, while Presley's out, Naris is going to be a top four closer in fantasy baseball. So talk a little bit about Ryan Presley and the Hector Naris closing situation for the time being. Yeah, so I think I think you nailed it, right? When Naris is good, he's good. When he has a blow up, it can get very ugly very fast with a lot of crooked numbers and not in a good way. Um that being said, when Presley comes back, he's a young question closer. It's not like this is going to be, well, if Neris is doing well, we're going to go by committee. No, when Presley's back, he is the young question closer for the Astros. So if you're going to go after Neris, you're getting him for, at bat, like, I don't know, 10 days, maybe a couple of weeks. I don't think it's going to be that bad for Presley. I don't think there's any structural damage leading to it. I think it's probably just one of these early season soft tissue things. Um, So, you know, I'm not going to blow a whole lot of fab on Hector Neris, but you could get a handful of saves from him in the next, you know, two weeks, depending on how the Astros play and how they use them and whatnot. I think you'd almost be, if you were a Presley owner, you'd almost be more willing to go ahead for Naris because you're basically going to continue essentially at that point you're going to pay fab for Naris and you're essentially you're not really paying for Naris you're basically paying for the spot of the Houston closer that's essentially what you're doing with Naris and Naris has looked good here in the beginning of the year I mean he's thrown four and a third shutout innings he's got four punch outs when you look at some of his other numbers um you know, like his barrel rates only slightly up, launch angles way up. So if he can reduce hard contact, if he's going to keep getting like pop-ups and stuff, that should be fine. But really, you're probably going to be more willing. It's almost like in fantasy football, if someone's going to miss one week for fab, like with McCaffrey, if his if Christian McCaffrey's thing was only going to be a one-week thing, if you're the McCaffrey owner, you're going to be more willing to pay up for Chuba Hubbard because the other people you're paying for the Carolina spot, whereas other people are just paying for like a one week fill in. So unless we get anything new with Presley, we're probably talking short term. So just be wise with the fab that you're going to go with for Ryan Presley. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you about, is if I do remember correctly, you were rather outspoken on Twitter about it. And you can check out some of those tweets at the cells man on Twitter um, some pitcher, I've never heard of him, Clayton Kershaw. I guess he's pretty good, people say. 
Um, he had a perfect game going, and his manager, I guess, yanked him from the game at a very reasonable pitch count, which then got some extra um, fuel added onto the fire when uh, Houston let Justin Verlander waltz out for innings there past his pitch count there as well. So let me let me hear your thoughts now vocalized and not in Twitter form on the whole Clayton Kershaw pooling during a perfect game. Yeah, so... You know, I, I vocalized it on the Family Times podcast as well, if you want to check that out. But I know it's early in the season, and I know what the argument for pulling him is. Well, he hadn't pitched up to, you know, past five innings since September because, you know, he was just getting back, and then he had the elbow surgery, and um, and so he wasn't fully up to it, and... You know, we got to protect Kershaw for later in the season um, and all this great stuff. And to a degree, I understand it. But here's the problem with that argument. One, if he hasn't pitched past five innings since last September, why are you sending him out there for six and seven? I get it that you're trying to get him up to a pitch count, and that's where the pitch count got him and whatever. However... If you're talking about length of outing and everybody brought up, well, it was cold in Minnesota and all this good stuff. Okay, if it's cold, take them out after five innings. Nobody complains then, right? The problem becomes when he gets within six outs of a perfect game, of which he's never had one, and in fact, he's the last solo Dodger to throw a no-hitter, which was all the way back in 2014, before Dave Roberts was managing, Why are you going to let him get within six outs and then go, oh, it's a pitch count thing? Especially since he struck out two dudes in the seventh inning and hadn't really gone over like 11 pitches in an inning yet. Um, I, I mean, I get you're trying to, I guess, innings limit him so you have him for later in the year. And, of course, everybody's going to go, well, Kershaw said it was fine. Of course he is. Because that's the kind of guy he is. He's not a Scherzer who doesn't want to come out of a game. He's a guy who won't throw his manager under the bus. And if you listen to his comments, he does say it would have been awesome to stay in and go get history. But he understands the winning aspect. Here's the other thing. They let him pitch eight innings in a meaningless game last June to get up to 100 pitches in which he had dominated, supposedly, although he gave up four hits and a couple of runs and a walk or two, and, yeah, had 13 strikeouts. But it was basically a meaningless game in July, and he pitched eight innings and 100 pitches for no apparent reason with a six-run lead over a team that wasn't going to come back against him. So if the argument is you're saving him for innings later in the season, well, they saved him for innings later in the season last year, and he still got injured. And then they still didn't have him for the playoffs. So why not let the guy go get history? And it's the beginning of the year. You have six months to give him some time off and skip a start or whatever. It just doesn't make any sense to me why you wouldn't let the guy go for history. Because if everybody's so sure he's going to get injured later, let the guy get history first. Well, that's the... That's the argument, too. And the easy, the very easy thing to do is critique the decision that was made 
regardless of what happens. So if they let him go out there and he gets hurt, it's, oh, see, shouldn't have done it, shouldn't have done this. And when they pull him, now everyone complains that they pulled him. So first off, there was no winning. They were going to, their people were going to complain about it regardless. Um, you had retweeted that uh, Dave Roberts was the manager. Both times a pitcher has been pulled from a perfect game after seven plus innings. So it's documented here uh, with Roberts doing that. And it's just with Clayton Kershaw, history would have been cool for him to get. There is injury history there. But like you said, I mean, there have only been a handful of perfect games in MLB history. We're not talking about a no-hitter where he's already walked three people. We're not talking about something right. like that. And first off, he's at 80-some pitches. Like, right. let him go out there for another inning. And what happens if the first batter gets a hit on the first pitch? You take him out, and he's still at a completely fine workload. You don't right. know what's going to happen. By the way, there. that's what yeah. happened. The reliever came in gave up a base hit to the first guy. And I was like – you could have just let Kershaw do it, and then he's got eight plus with a hit. Who gives, like, it's not going to change anything. And in terms of pitch count, I fully believe that it's stressful pitches, not the number of pitches that matter. He was cruising. They were not going to touch his curve. That curveball was filthy all day. And, yeah, he came out and said, well, I didn't really have my slider. Okay, there's four other pitches he was getting guys out on. Um so, yeah, I mean, there's there's been 23 perfect games in MLB history and 220,000-plus games played. So and pretty- at this point, yeah, and at this point, too, in Kershaw's career, if you're going to make that argument, he might not get close to another one again. Right. Yeah, so- that was the other crazy thing on Twitter was, like, half the people are like, like, one guy came came at me and goes, well, he's old. That okay, well, he's 32, so does that mean that at 35 I should be on a rocker at a retirement home? Like, he's 32, and I get it. He's been pitching in the major since he was 20. Okay, fair enough. But then two tweets later, the same guy came back and said, but they're preserving him so he can have another good four or five years. So is he older, or does he still have five years left? Like, Yeah. I mean, he's got... He's got nearly 2,500 innings on that arm, so he's pretty battle-tested in the leagues. And, I mean, coming into the season, too, if I remember correctly, when the Dodgers signed to a contract, he was basically Dodgers or bust. Like, if he wasn't going back to the Dodgers, it might, I think Texas was floated as an option there, too. But I don't right, because think they're, retiring they're was fully like off 10 the minutes table. from where he grew up, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if retiring was fully off the table. So if that thought has started to enter the mindset – of Kershaw, if he comes close to a perfect game like that, I say you let him go for it. And to your credit, too, where you had said, you know, like skip a start, the Dodgers are very notorious for like these, I believe the Twitter word for it is like these phantom injuries that allow these the Dodgers to skip starts for some of their starters. Right. They just throw them on the IL for no reason, save their arms a little bit. We saw it with David Price in recent memory and some other guys there. So I probably would have let him in. Right. But- you also, by the way, have Dustin May coming back later this year. Right. And you have a couple of arms you can always call up from triple A. So I don't I don't fully understand like like the so yeah, then I also tweeted out I was like, okay, so you so in order to pitch a perfect game now you have to have a pitcher that's never ever been to the IL because once they're on the IL they have an injury history according to Twitter. Right. So pitcher can never be on the IL in their entire career. It can't be until the middle of the season when they're in full swing, right? But the problem is that if you're a pitcher 
who's very good and capable of pitching a perfect game, you're going to get traded, which means you can't do it in July because you can't overwork a guy right ahead of the trade deadline. So that basically leaves June. But if you're on a team that's going to compete for the World Series, you're already rationing innings starting in June. So are we ever going to see another perfect game? Is that ever going to happen, given the fact that it can really only happen to perfectly healthy, never-injured pitchers who are either not great or not on a team that's competing and can only happen in June? Yeah, and the other point to that, too, is we're already seeing starters go shorter and shorter into games anyway. Like, I mean, there's going to become a point where one of these pitchers that we see now might be the last 200 or 210-plus inning guy that we see. It's a very real possibility i mean i'm not saying that we're you know i will say we're closer to it than farther from it at this point so well, let me put it this way in my draft software uh this year there was one pitcher projected for more than 200 innings walker bueller was the only guy projected for more than 200 innings and there could be a time where there might not be any yeah so you never know um Another thing I had here was Hunter Green, 39 pitches of over 100 miles an hour in his season uh, debut, or actually his major league debut in his season debut, really. But we're going to come back to that in a bit because I'm going to up that here uh, later on. But one thing that I'm curious to get your opinion on here, because we've seen it in our Discord channels. uh, You see it on Twitter. We always say we're not going to overreact to early season starts, but we are all victim to it. I do it. You do it. Everyone does it. It's completely understandable. We're trying to better our team. And, you know, some of these guys that we drafted and they have a slow start. We're wanting to know if we should cut bait because of the Connor Joes or Stephen Kwans or Owen Millers of the world. So at what point, basically, at what point do we move past the it's still early thought process? So, you know, we see it. When when do you cut bait with someone? So I looked at the last couple of years, not, not really 2020 and 2021, really, but, you know, 2019, 2018, 2017 for spring training to be like a leader for, in terms of a qualified players, it was anywhere from like 40 to 50 ish at bats with some guys getting upwards of 60 and 70 at bats in 2022, this year's spring training, you only needed 20 at bats to be a qualifying player. And the most at bats by someone was 42 for Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh. So you're taking four at bats per game. We're talking about 13 games. Some of those guys saw about 16 games of action here in the spring training. So at what point are these players really up to speed and, you know, what is considered a normal season, even though it's been a number of years now since we've had a truly normal season? I would say at least middle April. Um, you know, there are some guys that just naturally start slow and you can look at their their splits for their career. And you'll notice that April's numbers are significantly lower than the other months. And if you draft one of those guys, you should know that they're a slow starter, right? Like Anthony Rendon is a notoriously slow starter. Okay, I had him back in 2016 Uh, in the year of 2016, at least I believe it was maybe it was 2017. He had one RBI in the entire month of April. One. Now, in my league, I can't really drop him. There's not really waivers or fab or, you know, whatnot. I got some offers for trading him, but, you know, he was one of my key guys. So I I rode with him. And by the end of the season, his numbers were there. It was 280 something average. Um, you know, 80 RBI, 85 runs, something like that, and like 25 to 30 homers. So if you took a guy early in the draft or you paid a lot for him, you're obviously not cutting bait yet. 
if it's a dollar day guy and you really have concerns about their playing time at this point, then maybe you cut bait. If it's guys like Stephen Kwan and Owen Miller, I am not giving away the farm to get them. They're on incredibly hot streaks. Uh, Stephen Kwan is probably comped to Michael Brantley right now. Like this Michael Brantley, not peak Michael Brantley. This Michael Brantley. Um, and Owen Miller's just insane right now. Like, if you look up the guy's career stats, it's not anywhere close to what he's doing right now. So, uh, some dudes are incredibly hot, and some dudes are incredibly cold, and it'll all even out. And by the way, if you're trying to pick up Owen Miller, you're not getting the 524 average he's posted the first 10 games of the season. You're getting whatever he does after that. So, the time to get Owen Miller was for opening day. Not now, because... If his batting average regresses back to where it normally is, which is like 245, you're going to get crushed in batting average when he loses 250 points off of what he's currently hitting. Um, So, you know, if it's a pitcher, I'm not trusting it. I'm not cutting bait until the end of April because none of these guys got enough innings um, to really make a good judgment call past the first three starts of the year yeah and there's a lot of times too you know again we're all trying to better our team so i understand the questions of should i drop player a for player b and it's just gonna at a certain point you know that it's early label does get shed and it's time to be like all right perhaps this is what it is and now we cut bait but at this point of the year we're only a week and a half or so in two weeks ish in it's still time there is still plenty of time for these guys to figure out like you said some guys are routinely slow starters so Sometimes, like, in our Discord, especially if I just say, hey, I'm holding, you know, I'm not lazy and just don't want to give you an answer. It's just a matter of we're still too early into it. We don't even have enough. Like, at this point, you can almost say, like, the 2021 split numbers are still probably more, you know, indicative of performance versus some of these 2022 numbers at this point. We're getting closer to that point where, like, the numbers this year will start trumping last year. But, like, for a case for Owen Miller, you're exactly right. I mean, yes, the guy's hitting an even 500, but that XBA – is 327. His expected WOBA is over 200 points below what his actual WOBA is. So you're paying for the past performance. And will he carry that over? I don't know. I don't like his 3.7 degree launch angle and a 50% ground ball rate. So while he's hitting some homers now, you know, if less, less hard contact, more ground balls typically doesn't result in more home runs. So that's basically my, my whole point with you here. And why I wanted to ask you was at some point, the it's still early label gets shed but I don't think we're at that point yet. Yeah. So that's just kind of something to talk about there and each week. And it's, it's, I understand we all want to better our teams. I'm doing it. Matt's doing it. Everyone should be doing it. And they're all good questions. And at some point again, that it's early label gets shed, but we are not quite at that point. So Matt, a couple players here to talk to you about your level of concern, just like that last week. So Scale of one to 10, one being no, not even worried, not even a thought in my mind, and 10 being I'm hitting the panic button, I'm freaking out, everything is going wrong. It's like that uh, it's like that meme of the little dog that's sitting there with the fire around it going, everything's right. fine. But that's really how you feel in terms of the player. So this one should be pretty easy, as we've already talked about it, but Mike Trout, day-to-day with a hand issue, level uh, scale of one to 10, what is your level of concern with Mike Trout? Like maybe a two, maybe. Yep. Yep. I think I agree with you on that one. There, one of the top arms this year that many people were targeting, perhaps even after the issue with the 
arm or shoulder that he had in spring was Zach Wheeler. He's come out after a very limited spring appearances. And while he looked okay in his first start, he got shellacked by the Marlins. So he's now allowed eight earned runs through his first 7.2 innings of the season. When you look at his stuff in particular, he's using his pitches about the same. Maybe he's throwing the slider a little bit more. But when you look at some of the things, Sinker velo down, fastball velo down, slider down, changeup down, curveball down. Is this a product of just getting a slow start to the year, or are you worried about Zach Wheeler? So one to ten level of concern. Um, I probably put it at about a three right now. Um, I'm not that concerned. He had a very limited spring training, if any spring training, um, because of that you know, ailment he came in with that was kind of mysterious, but it made, you know, it made waves because he said he got it like in the off season and then couldn't really work with the team trainers uh, because of the lockout. So I'm not all that concerned. Also, it's been fairly cold um, across most of baseball. Like most of where these games are, it's been fairly cold so far, Um, which, you know, if you're a pitcher trying to build up arm strength, it's pretty tough. It's tougher to pitch in cold weather than warmer weather, especially if you want your velo and stuff to rise. So if it continues and they notice it and then he starts missing some starts, then I'll get a lot more concerned. But right now I'm just going to – I know we just talked about, you know, you got to get past it's early, but it's early for him. He got a lot less innings in spring training than he's used to. And, I, you know – I have no concerns. He's still one of the top three betting favorites in Vegas for the NL Cy Young, so clearly they're not concerned either. Another popular right-hander in draft season was one of the top closers in Liam Hendricks. Allowed three earned runs through his first two appearances, and while he has closed the door in his last couple of outings in terms of getting his last three saves, he still allowed four hits, so we're still up over you know one walk or hit per innings pitch, 11 hits on the year in just five innings of work. I'm looking here at some of his pitch arsenal numbers here, and his slider and curveball have generated a considerable number of whiffs out of the zone in recent years, but it's dropped here in 2022. Now, again, I'm asking you a question about if we're freaking out over someone over five innings pitched through five appearances to begin the year, but he was one of the few reliable closers that we could really hang our hat on coming into 2022. So what's your level of concern with Chicago's Liam Hendricks? Um, I mean, I guess it's a little higher than Wheeler, you know, a little bit, but not that much because, so here's the thing with Hendricks, right? Everybody looks at the numbers and he's a lockdown closer and he strikes out a, a fair number of dudes. He doesn't have overwhelming stuff though. Like, if you look at his velos, it's not overwhelming. It's not Josh Hader-level stuff. It's not, um, you know, prime Aroldis Chapman stuff. He's more of a control guy and keeps you off balance and mixes pitches. And sure, he's got velo. He wouldn't be out there if he didn't. But it's not, like, triple-digit velo. So, again, it's early. um, Colder weather can affect, you know... And again, the ball has changed too. So perhaps these guys are just learning how to grip this baseball and get control of it um, compared to last year. So I'm not that concerned. He's been saving games for them. I don't think he's in any danger of losing his spot to like Aaron Bummer or, you know, anybody else. And so the strikeouts will come. I bet you if we look in a few weeks when it's been warmer weather, his numbers will have rebounded. Uh, pretty nicely. 
And then the last one I got for you here in level of concern is J.D. Martinez. Now, his numbers at first glance aren't necessarily that worrisome. He's hitting 250. He's got a home run, four doubles, so five of his eight hits on the year have gone for extra bases. But as I'm looking here, his hard hit rate last year was in the top 10% of the league. And right now, through 2022, it's in the bottom 7% of the league. Strikeouts are right on par. He's, he's more willing to take a walk, at least compared to recent years. So maybe the batted ball metrics are a little bit worrisome in terms of the hard hit rate and the average velo is way down along with that. So am I just kind of trying to make something up here to, to make you worried? Or is there any level of concern from you with J.D. Martinez? No, I mean, perhaps he's probably the one I'm um, most worried about on this list. I'd still only put it about maybe five and a half. Um, he's also typically a slow starter during the season. Um, and again, not to blame everything on cold weather, but it's pretty hard to hit a ball harder in cold weather and get it to carry and produce the same outcomes. Um so I'm not quite as concerned simply because he is one of the guys that's a, that's a slower starter. If it continues, then we'll see. Maybe he's making swings to it or tweaks to a swing. Um, but again, he's in no danger of losing playing time. He's still producing a reasonable level of counting stats. It's the, you know, expected numbers and whatnot that, aren't fully there. So we'll, we'll see in a few weeks if those numbers rebound or not. And then the last thing before we put a bow on this episode of the fantasy alarm, fantasy baseball podcast is our prediction for the week that lies ahead. So last week, Matt, you had said that jazz Chisholm starts against lefties. He did get the first start of the week against lefties, but not the second one. So one for two there from you. I said, no walks from either of Milwaukee's big three of Woodruff Burns and Peralta and Woodruff and Burns both walked one, whereas Peralta walked two so oh for there for me you were much closer than i was last week but matt what is your prediction for the mlb week that lies ahead so i am swinging for the fences on this one uh i think it's time for a change in st louis i think nolan gorman gets called up they gave him a shot to make the team out of spring training it did not go well he pressed um early in spring training he struck out i think seven times in 16 at bats before getting sent to minor league camp but they basically told him, look, if you keep playing the way you've been playing, you'll be here sooner rather than later. And I think that sooner is now. Uh, he's on a ridiculous streak. He's homered in either four or five straight games. Um, he's hitting well over 300 now at AAA. And in the last 86 games at AAA, he's hit 20 homers. Um, they've been working him at DH and second base. So, you know, he's likely now his natural position was third base. They moved him to second base once they got Nolan Arenado because clearly he's not getting moved off third base. So here's the thing. You've been looking, right? Tommy Edmond looks good at second base. Off to a good start with batting average. The power has returned. He's got three homers. No steals, but three homers. But three homers. Well, Edmund can play shortstop. In fact, he was their starting shortstop a couple of years ago. Uh, Paul DeYoung has sucked. Not just this year. Paul DeYoung hit under 300 last year. Or, sorry, under 200 last year. Uh, the only season in which he's hit better than 250 in a full season was his rookie campaign. He hit 250 in the shortened 2020 year, so we're not even going to count that. So the batting average isn't there. His defense is okay, but Tommy Edmond can certainly play equivalent defense at short. So I think the Cardinals are going to call up Nolan Gorman this week. 
Um, and I think they're going to have DeYoung come off the bench, put Tommy Edmund at shortstop. Nolan Gorman gets the start at second base. Yep, Nolan yep. Gorman has homered in four straight, and he's actually homered in five of his last six. In the start of that, he had a, he had two home runs, then he didn't homer, then homered in four straight. So you're right, he's absolutely crushing it down in the minor. So I, I agree. I can certainly see it happening. My bold prediction for the week also lies with a top prospect. Uh, Hunter Green just set the record for the most pitches above 100 miles per hour in a start, and I think he will, after breaking the record in his first start, I think he now breaks his own record in his next start. He should hopefully work deep into the game again, exceed last week's pitch count, and in turn, if he does that, I mean, however many fastballs he throws is going to be probably the number that it comes down to. So, Matt Sells at the Sellsman on Twitter says, Nolan Gorman gets the call to the show by the end of the week, and my prediction was that Hunter Green breaks his own record for pitches above 100 miles per hour. So next week in the next edition of the podcast, we'll be able to check back in on that one, see if we hopefully both were right uh, in terms of this week. But until the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball podcast, make sure you're checking out all of the content at fantasyalarm.com. If you're in the Discord, keep sending your questions in. We got a bunch of people in there willing to answer them and provide their insight to however many questions that you may have, no matter if it's about your top players, your middle players, bench players, people aren't even on your roster, we'll be happy to help there. I'm always going to plug the closer grid because good luck with that position. I don't even know what to do with that one. So you might want to, if you check, check from your phone, make sure you keep it handy. If you check from the browser, just go ahead and favorite that link because you'll be accessing that one quite uh, often. So make sure you're checking out all the content at fantasyalarm.com. And we will be back next week for the next edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. So until then, have a great week and we'll see you in just a few days.